1: Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, everyone. A show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett. We did a live show just after Man United lost 3-2 at home to Galatasaray earlier this week. They now play Brentford. And, Rob, are you fearful that there could be yet another defeat on the cards? Because Brentford are pretty hard-working. You know, they're going to have to get their heads on, aren't they?
2: Yes, Scott, I am fearful. Um, You know, I'll be at Old Trafford, no doubt, as always. And it does feel like a a hiding to nothing because of what this Manchester United team is doing at the moment. And it's difficult, Scott, because we talked about some of the positives and we'll do that again today. But Brentford are exactly the kind of team that you don't want to face in this scenario because they will look at you and they will try and expose you for what you are. So we'll talk through a lot of that today.
1: Yeah, and we're basically going to try and talk about what Eric Ten Hag should do, because I feel like a lot of people, maybe Ten Hag himself even, Mm. are looking at the way that United are playing at the moment and thinking, well, we're very, very easy to play against. There's a lot of... uh, United tend to go man for man and get dragged all over the pitch. There's spaces which appear... In for the second Galatasaray goal the other day, for example, there was just a a, a massive area near, on the edge of the box which they which they scored from. There's obviously errors that are being made. Uh, they play hot potato in possession, which is just not a good thing for a, a team like Man United are. But obviously, Ten Hag is having to manage through injury problems as well. But he's tried this Amrabat at left back thing, and we await what Ten Hag says about Sergio Reguilón, uh in his press conference on Friday afternoon. We we're recording before that, so we may have some positive news on him or negative uh, if you listen to this uh, after, after Friday afternoon or Friday evening or something like that before the Brentford game. But uh, we will try and plan for what Ten Hag should do if Reggion is not available. And also, there's a number of uh, senior players who are not performing, so we'll talk about what switches Eric Ten Hag should make potentially through today's show. We'll also do a little bit more on Rasmus Hoyland because the last show was more of a, wow, that was awful, wasn't it? But the one shining light was Rasmus Hoyland. So we will give him his props today. Subscribe wherever you get your pods and watch us on YouTube as well, the Promise and the Manchester United podcast. Like the video, subscribe, leave a comment and hit the notification bell so you don't miss the show. And follow us on social media at double underscore Scott Saunders at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promise and MU for the show as well. So... Just uh just set us up here, Rob, because I'm I'm gonna share for the benefit of those who are watching. Apologies if you're not. Um you're gonna miss out on this if you're listening on audio, but I'll try and try my best to talk through what we're gonna display on screen on YouTube. But just uh set us up here, Rob, for because you've gone and done your Twittering hmm. and caused a bit of a stir. There's a surprise, a stir on Twitter. Um yeah,
2: look, I think there's so many factors that are going on at Manchester United at the moment that are maybe out of Eric Ten Hag's control. And I I give him some grace on that. What I don't kind of give him some grace on and, and understanding is that if you've got any kind of option here, Scott, you've got to consider it. You know, if you can change stuff at ground level, then maybe change it. Consider it at very least. And uh, one of the words that I always describe Eric as consistently is conservative. And what I mean by that is that he will try and keep things smaller in his remit. He won't. He won't. He's not a very extreme character, is he? You know, he's not he's not a Jose or he's not he's not kind of gregarious manager. He wants to keep control. He wants to keep it small. And I understand why he picks the same players. It's the same with Ole. People would say, oh, Ole's got favourites. And I would say, no, he's not got favourites. He's just got players he trusts think it's the same for ten Hag. so setting this up i think that there are there are options that eric ten Hag can take against Brentford. i think there are changes that he can make and then he's going to have to decide whether he pulls the trigger on those changes because i get the feeling he won't make many but i think
1: he probably should so i'm just going to share uh also but actually by the way if you're following us on on the youtube channel and you want us to do lives more often like the other day uh, mm. please let us know because we I think we will have the facility to do it uh, moving forward. Not today, obviously. But uh, let us know. Get involved in the comments as well. Uh, but just to, for the benefit of those on audio, I'll explain here what Rob has, uh, has, has chosen. But Rob, I, I'll put it out there. I don't agree with everything you're saying here. Good. So um, let's <laughs> let's get this presented. So what we're seeing, Rob did a, a big, long tweet Um Talking about how the big pros are not cutting the mustard, in a sense. And uh, then came up with his own 11 for the game against Brentford in a 4-3-3. So just for the benefit of view on audio, if you're listening, Rob's 11 for the game. And this is considering... Sergio Reguilón is not fit, right? So yes, Ten Hag yes. might confirm that United are rushing him back today or that he's fit, and then maybe this conversation is moot in a sense. Uh, but Rob is calling for Altai Bayandia to come in and replace Onana, Dalo ran Harry Maguire, and Johnny Evans at left back to push Amrabat into midfield along with Hannibal and Mason Mount. Anthony back on the right, Garnacho on the left, and Rasmus Hoyland through the middle. And we'll talk about him later on in the show. Mm. Uh, But obviously there, Rob, you're making a number of calls, as in to drop Onana, to take Amrabat into the midfield, which I do agree with. But Johnny Evans at left back at 35 is a bit of a concern. There's no Bruno Fernandes in that midfield as the club captain and no Marcus Rashford either. So what's your thinking here?
2: I'm thinking several things, but I'll try and explain it from back to front because I think like none of us can pretend that that senior players at the football club, the big players at the football club are performing. They're not performing. And that's why you're losing football matches, especially it's not just losing Scott. It's the way you're losing. That I think is the, is the massive concern for me. So just to kind of talk through the 11, because there are, there are kind of caveats to a lot of this is why do you pick X, Y, and Z? Well, I would call it resting, not dropping, first and foremost. <laughs> yeah, It's very easy to go to make it and say it's a drop and it become a sensational headline. But I think Man United, when you look at the selection that, that Ten Hag makes kind of every week, most of it is very predictable, isn't it? We know the system, we know the players. That is not working at the moment. And we can moan about injuries until we're blue in the face. But one of the things people have said to me at Old Trafford when I talk to fans is the same things. Well, even if all these players who are injured are fit, would he change it? I think that's a really key question because if you've got other players, you've got to use them, haven't you? you know, we know Mason Mount, he's brought him straight back in. So let's just look at the back to the front. We'll talk with Anana's first, yeah, if we go with that. I think the whole thing with Inanna is I still actually have faith in Inanna. I still think long-term, I think it's way too early to be overly worried about whether he can do the job. We talked about David De Gea, didn't we, in the last show and about De Gea's year one. And how there's a mirror here. And I do think that when when things are so bad in front of Anana, Scott, it's difficult to blame him. However, we can blame him, can't we, for like bad back passes out, for bad saves, for going to ground and all of those things. You've just bought a goalkeeper that was a first choice last year and played something like 35 first team games in the Turkish league. If you didn't have any intention to play him, Scott, then why did you buy him? That's back a big up. question. Back up, but Scott, you're going to play him for five weeks during the African Cup of Nations,
1: right? So This is not confirmed yet. What's not confirmed? Onana's uh, reintegration into that team.
2: Oh, but Onana's already said that he's going to play for them. I think he's already he has already Uh, said that.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen that.
2: He did. He did a tweet earlier on saying, you know, he didn't he wasn't playing for his country for certain reasons. And now he's really happy to be back in the fold. So I think Anana will almost certainly be going to the Africa Cup of Nations. We'll see, though, as you said, that could change. But if you're going to do that, that's why you bought this lad for four million quid as cover for those five weeks. Wouldn't it be good to give him some minutes now while Anana's struggling? So I think that's why you have to do it. I don't think that uh, Bayon Deer is better than Inanna, because, again, that's subjective. I think Anana's the better goalkeeper. But I think at this moment, it does not hurt pulling Inanna out of the firing line. Just like Fergie did with De Gea all those years ago, where he took his number one out and thought, right, go sit on the bench for two, three weeks, let's work this out, let's take the pressure off you. Um, the worst thing that could happen for Anana Scott, is to play this game against Brentford, And get done in the match. It's like the worst thing, and then go away for international
1: break, and for that to
2: be hanging over
1: him. Do you not think that just to counter at that point? Hmm. I I don't think the De Gea comparison is relevant because I think they're both at different stages of their career. O'Nan is like mid, starting to end at the peak years of his career. David De Gea was twenty, so you know this is different. David De Gea hadn't even grown into his body yet. This is Hmm. how you know, he couldn't collect crosses, he was getting bullied, this kind of thing. Andre Onana's having to deal with the fact that he's making like fundamental errors in terms of goalkeeping, but also mm. giving the ball away. But he's been brought in to obviously start attacks and this kind of thing. And th- there's a fair argument to say that look at that back too, Harry Maguire and, and Rafa Varan. That's a, that's not going to sold sharp uh centre back pairing. With Dallow mm. as well, that's all he's... So Lisandro Martinez, I think, is really important to the build-up play, and they don't have him. Uh, But leaving Onana out here to take him out of the firing line, I think could be just as damaging for his confidence as if it was that he kept in... He, he was staying, staying in goal and actually made another mistake. I mean, Onana's been brought in to be the number one. He wouldn't have agreed to this move if he wasn't the number one. I mm-hmm. think he needs a bit of faith. I think Eric Ten Hag needs to show him faith. And then what if Bayern Deer comes in and makes another mistake? Because there's no guarantee that he is the perfect goalkeeper either. Uh, and he's not because he's, he's not. He's no. not he's meant to be the number two. Mm. And I think he came in on those terms as well. So for me, I don't think you can drop Onana personally. And I probably wouldn't do it either. But he, I think he's got to play through this personally, Onana. And I think you're damaging probably the his his ego and his confidence even more by taking him out of the firing line and you're going into an international break as well. So it's not a case of giving him a break because he's going to have two weeks of a break anyway.
2: Look, I, I completely actually agree with you in complete context of what you're saying, 100%. <clears throat> I think what I'm talking about as well is senior players failing and how do you react to senior players failing? And and I think the whole thing is, is that I do not believe that Bandir is a better goalkeeper than Anana. I really don't think Anana is the better goalkeeper. I think that it's about a body of work. And it's also about putting the message to players that if you do not play well, you cannot be the starter. You're going to have to work your way up. Now, as you said there, Inanna came to the football club because he's told that he's going to be the undisputed number one and X, Y and Z and everyone's happy with that, Yeah. I don't think you can live in that universe, not in the Man United universe. There should be no automatic starters. I think Anana playing for me, as you said there, there is always that theory that you play through bad form. You know, you play through it. But if that bad form is losing you football matches, you have to stop the bleeding somehow. If there's a big cut there, you've got to put a big band-aid on it and fix it. Now, as you said, Andy, I wouldn't say he's the perfect goalkeeper. But if you weren't going to use him, then you shouldn't have bought him. You should have kept Kovar. And I think we'd be having a more expansive conversation now about a young goalkeeper who might be able to fill the boots temporarily. And people might be more happy about that. But I think you, you've just got to make some of these changes, Scott, as a leap of faith. I just think, I think that's where you are. I don't want Harry Maguire back in my team. But I feel that Harry Maguire is no better or worse than Victor Lindelof. That's the way I kind of look at it. And that's why when I pick this team, it is more about that. It's about how can you shake things up at the core of your team and give players opportunity? Because I think that's the one thing I see missing in these scenarios, Scott, is that you just stick with the same leaven, you bite your lip, and you try and fight your way through it. But we've seen too much now in a short period of time that these players are failing,
1: you must use your squad in some capacity. Uh, there's also the context here of uh, Bayern Deer coming in to a team that is struggling mm-hmm. with his number one making a series of mistakes, and yeah. there being pressure on him to not make those mistakes. Yeah, and otherwise, you you have two two goalkeepers who are considered duds at the moment. So I, for me, I, that's not a change I'd make. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with your point overall really on the you know rotation options but I just just think goalkeepers a different position really would you Uh, play Kovar if you were still at the club rather than Bayon Deer I'd be more inclined to but I probably still wouldn't I mean Kovar's gone to Bayer Leverkusen who's doing really well and played in the Europa League twice so Mm. he's not getting in goal for the league um again this is a this is a step up and Kovar's got less experienced than than and has mm. but I'd, yeah probably i'd be more inclined to to do it than i would be with by and but- So,
2: re- so really the debate is not whether you drop an honor or not it's who comes in for an honor so like I, so my side of that coin is is that that shouldn't actually be the problem the problem is the individual that you're having a problem with so i think with an he he really feels like rabbit in headlights at the moment so when you see him in the games there is something there that in terms of his confidence has been, has been affected. And we know why. We know why. Everything in front of him is a mess, isn't it? He's making mistakes. So I don't think it's a problem resting a player and bringing him out. And like you said about Bay and Deer, like we, we're kind of judging him without ever seeing him like in the United shirt. Like He might come in and be sensational and make 12 saves in the game. And we might go, wow, this lad, you know, we didn't think he was that good. But here we are now. He's coming to it. He is hungry. He wants his chance. We can't judge that, Scott, till we see it. So, unless you give someone that opportunity, you see, that's the way I look at this is that it's not more about what you're bring in, it's about, it's about how you make that evaluation of whether a player goes sits goes to the bench. Um, but I'm with you. Like I get it. Like Anana is the senior goalkeeper and is more likely to play, there's no doubt about it.
1: Yeah, I, also like in the context of, and I think I'll come to this point you know, on a few occasions during this conversation. If you rest your number one goalkeeper, that is not a rest. That is, you're dropped. Eric Ten Hag falls out with Andre Onana. That you know, you know, you've seen with Sancho, he kept him out of the team. Mm. And look, we're over a month since, and this situation is not resolved. That's a breaking of trust and confidence. You know, the media will have a field day with that. So, yeah, I mean, let us know in the comments. uh, Should this be the time that Andre Onana is. uh, Substituted out. He's had 10 games in goal and was the Champions League final goalkeeper last season. Yeah. And uh already out of the team. Anyway, let's go back. Let's go back for Rob. Yeah. Uh, you've gone Dallo, Varan, Maguire, and Johnny Evans at left back. I think that's the curious one here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll explain what I would do. This is this is pending uh, confirmation on Regulon, by the way. I mean, if, if regulon can play, I think bo- both Rob and I here will say that he should play. And in that case, I'd probably stick with the back three that you've got, plus Regulon, yeah. at left back. If Regulon isn't fit, I'd probably switch down to left back and Lindelof in at right back because mm-hmm. I think it's crucial, really, that Amron back goes to midfield. But uh, give your explanation here.
2: Yeah, the reason why I've done this and kind of put this forward, as you said, is it is dependent on Regulon's fitness. Um, we will know very, we will know more very soon about Regulon. People were saying, oh, but wasn't he sick? You no, know, he actually had an injury as well. He had a hamstring problem. And that's, you know, we were initially told that, that that might not clear up until after the international break. So that's why I kind of did this team like this. But uh, I got hundreds of responses on Twitter about this back four and mainly about Johnny Evans and people saying, well, Johnny Evans can't play left back. Johnny Evans has played left back in his career. He has played it before. He's also but
1: 35.
2: A, but, but he's older, of course. He's 35 and i understand the concerns about fitness and i think i was one that actually put that forward about can you do a whole game there but it's more about how man united are setting up scott than just a very basic 4141 on a bit of paper because on paper yeah i get what people are saying and it was quite interesting because when people were responding to the tweet they clearly were only looking at the team and not actually reading what I'd written about the team because I think that has, that context is more important here. I think with Johnny Evans, when Man United are going in transition from a three at the back, that's where it tends to be now with, with Ten Hag, and finding that those players shift across, allowing someone to go forward, play inverted into midfield or down the wing. I think when you look at the balance with United, it's been all wrong. Yeah, so Amrabat's played that role and gone into midfield, and I think that actually has worked. What hasn't worked is what happens behind Amrabat. So, Amrabat has not really been able to cover the defensive positions because, as a midfielder, what's he doing, Scott? He's stepping out, isn't he, to go and meet people? He's a combative, aggressive player. I think if you played that back four, Evans, Maguire, Varane, and DeLow, there again, for me, are issues with certain players. So, I look at Victor Lindelof, and I think Victor Lindelof is a massive problem. And I think it's a sliding scale with United fans. Like, some believe that, and some just don't. And I think if you play him at right back, and then moved a load to left-back, I think you've got the same problem that you've had the last few weeks. Nothing's changed there. That's just the same players just moving it around a little bit. A lot of people tweeted me as well and went, no way should Harry Maguire be in this team. Harry Maguire is still an international, and Harry Maguire is not completely useless. If he's at your football club, you have to find ways to make him useful. He's going to sit on your bench. You have to be prepared to give him minutes at times. Now, looking at this team here... I'm happy for Delo to push up the wing here and go and help Anthony and go and kind of rekindle that partnership that they've had at times and let those three at the back sit in the central roles. Because Brentford are only really going to play Monbremo and Wissa in those in those areas. And if you've got three outnumbering two, I'm all right with it, even if you've not got the quickest. I'm the one I wanted. Harry Maguire sold Scott. I wanted him <clears> gone. <throat> but I think Evans and Maguire on that side can look after that side with Mbembo and make sure they don't get run behind. That's really important. And you I do think, have oh, wing backs though. You've got wing backs, and that so... be, but this is where you're going to have to do other parts of your job. So like a further up the field, if Anthony's playing, that's why I would play Anthony ahead of Bruno Fernandes on that side. So you know th- th- these things are all interconnected, aren't they? That so Ansley's going to have to come back and help DeLo in those coverage areas, and it means that Garnacho will have to at least cover the space in front of Evans. But I'm not saying Johnny Evans is going to be a fullback like people saying, "Oh, you got him there at left back, and he's you know he can't do." He will inevitably
1: him. have to be at times, though. Like, he, he, he has to t- be.
2: And I'm happier for him controlling what's around him and behind him than Amrabat. That's the way I look at this. And you said it there at the start of the show. Amrabat has to be in midfield. That, for me, is the sliding scale of responsibility here. You have to find a way to get Amrabat in front of the defence. Because if he's in front of the defence, Scott, you're going to do better than with Casemiro in front of the defence. That's just the way I look at it. If you play four-two-three-one, then yes, Amrabat and Casemiro might work and you might be able to bring Lindelof in. I do agree that playing Delow on the left and Lindelof on the right is, again, probably the conservative decision. That's probably what the manager will do. Will he bring Maguire back? I probably think he won't. But I'm saying, as, even though I'm not a fan of Harry Maguire at all and do not want him at the football club, I think Harry Maguire in that central role will be just as good, if not better, than Victor Lindelof, who I think is failing at the moment.
1: I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think I'm not against Maguire coming back in because he needs mm. must at the minute. Uh, I think, and just... he played well. In, he played well in the cup game, and so did Evans. They both yeah. played well. Yeah, and uh, obviously we're, we're talking here in the context of if Regulon isn't fit and this yes. might be a conversation which is just irrelevant if Eric Ten Hag confirms that you'll play in his press mm-hmm. conference. Yeah. which not play on Saturday. I think Ten Hag's speaking to the press in about four four hours' time from where we're recording here, but obviously it'll be closer to the time uh, once this actually goes out and you may even know that Regulon is going to play when you listen to this. Anyway, that's what I would do. I'd bring in... Maguire switch switch Lindelof to right back and uh, switch Dallow across and then you kind of get your back three in there anyway who are all natural center halves without the and Dallow can obviously move into midfield as well to create the extra number in there but which he's done before
2: Um do we think, but, I just had one thing there Scott because you, you that's what you would do you playing you're playing Lindelof who is a center back at right back and do we believe that Lindelof has more energy, more mobility, more everything than Johnny Evans. Yes. I think that's, I think that's a real key question because I don't, I think Johnny Evans, even at 35 can read the game and slow the game down more and allow more control in that part of the park than Victor Lindelof. Victor Lindelof makes you play quick because he is so mentally slow and physically slow. I think Johnny Evans is better at tucking in. Johnny Evans will look after the channel and go, this is the area I need to look after. For me, I would be worried at Lindelof at right back because Lindelof, Lindelof can invert and maybe go into midfield. I think he's a good enough ball player, but I think in this shape, do I like Lindelof and Varane as a partnership on that side? I I, I dislike that as much as I dislike Maguire and Evans on the left. I just trust Johnny Evans more than I trust Victor Lindelof. That's just a personal observation.
1: <clears throat> anyway, let us know back four. Maybe Regulon's back, but anyway, we yeah, we like, talked about Amrabat hmm. being back in midfield. I think we both agree on that, Rob. but we've tried this. Uh and he might he might still try this. He might play Amrabat at left back again. Yeah. But obviously Amrabat was I don't want to say at fault for two goals the other day, but like obviously he was the one that lofted the ball forward for the for the winning goal for Galatasaray. Hmm. Because his passing options were limited, I'd like admittedly. Exactly. Um, and he but, got dragged out
2: of position as well. Like when he's going to the player, uh, that's a typical mistake that someone who doesn't play the position all the week, every week, does. You know, because they're just trying to be aggressive. But
1: yeah, Amrabat for me. You bought him in to be a midfielder to <clears throat> to keep the solidity in there to keep it ticking over. And I think what you're seeing is at the minute you're trying to compensate for a position that is um, a, United are admittedly struggling in with three left backs out injured, uh, but. The midfield is so open at the moment that I feel like you need Amrabat in there from the beginning if you want Onana to have an option direct through the lines to or even to someone to collect the ball from him. Probably Amrabat's your best bet for that. Remember in this in this uh, or not in this fixture, but against Brentford last season they tried it with Christian Eriksen and he got eaten up. And Mm. I think Amrabat will probably be a little bit more composed and a little bit better if United did want to have that option uh, through the middle. And Amrabat obviously offers the extra security in there, offers extra legs, offers probably better progressive passing from that position. And I think that the time might have come now. You could even try this and probably be safe in the knowledge by the time the international break is over, you do have a left back back. So I feel like if you can plaster over it for one game and get Amrabat in the midfield as soon as you can. Stop the bleeding. Is, yeah. Just, I think that's the most important thing, but just a word on him before we move on.
2: Yeah, look, I think I've been, I've been really impressed with some of the stuff Amrabat has done. He's playing out of position and I think that he's shown real intelligence in the few games that he's played in terms of going into midfield and helping out and being a help player. And I think that that's been, that's actually kind of been successful. Um, but you've lost games. Obviously, everyone's down on that. But for me, Scott, it's the midfield as a kind of cohesive unit and the chemistry that they can they can bring. Now, this midfield here, like as I said, if you're playing a four-one-four-one, which is kind of what the manager has been doing in recent weeks at Old Trafford when he's playing transition, is that how do you make that 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 personnel fit what you're trying to do? This system with these players could very easily be four three three in a blink of an eye. You could do that. It could also be four two three one in a blink of an eye. You just drop Mount a little bit deeper and then you've kind of got you going back. You could then play the 4 one five press that you were doing last season. So it's about combination of players, Scott. And for me, this three of Amrabat, Mount and Hannibal feels just in terms of what I've seen, the right kind of combo in terms of their work rate, about, what they could do together as a unit and how to control that big chunk of the pitch in the middle. Because as you said at the start, that's really where Man United lost games, isn't it? United have lost games in the space between midfield and defence. And it's been a chasm, hasn't it? Players running through. Cardi on a holiday. I'm just run, jogging through the middle as a centre forward and no one's tracked me. No one's done a thing. Casemiro, six feet, six, 12 feet behind me. And I'm just—it's too easy. So I think Amrabat is really essential, but I think it's then about what you do with the other two and how you get those in. And obviously, people are going to say to me, "Rob, where's Bruno Fernandez?" So I think that's probably the talking point there.
1: <clears throat> I mean, I don't disagree. I think I think that the energy point that you get from this midfield is completely valid, and I, I don't disagree no. with that. What I—you have to manage the situation though, and as, as I. Talk about with uh with uh Onana versus uh deer If you drop the captain, you're in for a whole of a whole mass of problems. A whole that that is an international breaks worth of Eric Ten Hag dropped his captain. Eric Ten Hag has fallen out with Bruno Fernandez. You you know the way it's gonna go.
0: Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app.
1: no guarantees I think I I know that you put a tweet out about the drop in Bruno Fernandes and it was uh, it was contentious to say the least Mm, where obviously Bruno's numbers and his statistics are in terms of chance creation this kind of thing uh uh, well far and above like most of the players even even in the the Premier League and across Europe I mean he's he's one of the chief creators out there Mm. um personally I think I would probably go with if and well depends if you want to bring Anthony back in but I think Bruno has to be in there really the Casemiro question. I think for this for this time, I don't disagree with the fact that Casemiro playing number eight is a potential problem. I feel like, but but again, I think that you look at that three there. As much as Hannibal's energy is is really important, I probably drop him to the bench. And I think you bought that you bought Amrabat in, and I think everybody really thought, well, the midfield will be something like Amrabat, Casemiro, Bruno with Mount somewhere, or Amrabat, Mount Casemiro, or Amrabat, Mount Bruno.
0: Mm.
1: But one of three or four uh, connections in there. And I feel like Ten Hag, before he drops both of them, is probably going to have to try Amrabat, Casemiro, Bruno Fernandes in there. And I think maybe putting Mount on the wing, or putting Bruno on the wing, will be the way that he does go this time around. But like I said, I see the point you're trying to make there on the energy. I think that's really important.
2: Yeah, on the energy and also about the, the whole thing with Bruno and the stats. Yeah, Bruno gets great stats as a number 10 or as a wide right player. Those stats, I think, become null and void when we're talking about him doing a different job on the football pitch. So, you know, he's not being the greatest creative entity from number eight. That's just not true. So I think this is where people, I don't want to say skew it, but I, I know, again, that this ends up being about favouritism. It's about players, what who they like and who they dislike. I always say the same thing about Manchester United footballers. I don't really have any favourites. I just want to win a football match. I look at I look at the game as in like who can you put out there to do the job to win the game, and that's all I care about. I don't care who gets the stats. I'm not interested in that in that side of it. I think if you play Bruno here in this game in the system on the right as the starter, I've got no problems with that. I think Bruno can do that job. I would put Anthony in there because I think you need a little bit more energy in that part of the park in terms of the control in the press, and I think Anthony. It's time to bring him back, isn't it? He's in the squad. He's been training. So he was a starter to start off with, wasn't he, in that position? And, you know, he was rotated in and out. I will not be surprised if Anthony comes off the bench and Bruno starts there. For me, it's looking at that midfield three and about the combination. And I feel better with Amrabat, Mount, and Hannibal today than I would feel about Amrabat, Mount, and Bruno or Amrabat, Hannibal, and Bruno. I think Bruno, as a number eight, gets exposed over and over and over again. His ball retention's poor, his work's poor, he's erratic, he's indisciplined. And those things have to be addressed. You can't just say, well, you're the captain and we don't want a a big storm in the press. I want to win the next football match. I think that midfield three is a better midfield three to go against what Brentford do than Bruno. If you're going to pick players just because you're scared that you might get criticised that you drop them, then you're done already. We've already got to the point, Scott, haven't we, about Casemiro. Like you're saying it now, you said it the other day, you now agree about Casemiro. I think this has been a four to six-week issue that we're now getting to a point where like, we might have to drop this guy because he can't run in those areas at the moment, but he's on a lot of money and he's a star, isn't he? He's won Champions League medals. Well, I, I think you have to call it on the football and the tactics. And I, and I look at this and I think that's where Bruno you're right, it'd be a massive story, wouldn't it? Like, Twitter would explode. But if you win the game, it doesn't matter. If you put a team out there that wins, and sometimes you've got to gamble on these things. And I think with Bruno, he's as culpable as any of the senior players, I think, at the moment in terms of his form, that he can do the number eight, he's just not very good at it. So, like, why do it? You know, play him on the the right.
1: Well, the alternative here is, I I know that this is, and this is something I've, I've said this week, even. I think Ten Hag is trying to play a system that, Probably doesn't really have the right fits for. Mm-hmm. So Perfect. in that in that case, I mean, is it worth potentially compromising what you're trying to do in order to retain a bit of solidity in there and say Amrabat and Casemiro as a two mm. with Bruno in front of them? Like maybe is that a little bit more? You know, do you get a bit more solid- solidity out of that? And isn't isn't the most important thing keeping a clean sheet to start with? So you can you, you have something to build off.
2: Totally. Look, if you're going to go into this game thinking we are playing four-two-three-one, I completely admit that you're probably playing Casimir and Amrabat there. Now, it might turn out that Amrabat ends up us as, as a left-back. I would be more shocked if Ten Hag changes it here, <laughs> but less shocked if he just goes with what he's been doing because that's the kind of manager he is. But for me, the reason why I put this team out there is that what you've been doing the last six to eight weeks has not worked. It hasn't. It's worked in pieces, but there are big chunks of the game that are being bypassed here. And you cannot do that to just pick players that are your ones that have got the stats from last year. And this player's got this stat and that's like, you can't do it like that. You have to look at it game to game, I think. And I think Man United have failed in that aspect because they've got injuries. And, you know, as someone said to me, I'll oh, plenty of people said, even if these players weren't injured, would they actually even feature? Would they even play? So that midfield for me is young and hungry and has more control and definitely would get the ball in the deck more and get the ball to those front three in a more fluid way. Yeah, Bruno Fernandes, absolutely the best passer of the ball we've got in that final aspect of the game. But he's not the best passer of the ball from the centre of the park. If anyone tells me that, they're not watching Man United. That's not That's not what we see every week with Bruno. When he, The deeper Bruno is, the less Bruno becomes. And I think when you're forcing him to play, like he's been playing in a double pivot at times, Scott, he's been playing as a six. And I've been like, he's got no out ball from the six. He gets the ball and it's just chip into channels and there's no, there's no, there's no expansiveness there. He can't do what Amrabat does and he certainly can't do what Cam- Casemiro does. But then you're asking players to do things that, that they're not very good
1: at when you have actually got options to change it. Well, I personally looked at the Galatasaray game the other night and thought it wasn't only Bruno Fernandes who was doing that. That,
2: yeah, that ball
1: of... over the top, Mason Mount did it a number of times and he's been actually praised for his performance. I'm not I'm not saying he played well, nobody yeah. played well the other day, apart from Hoyland, really. But you know, I, I feel like Ten Hag, maybe this midfield, you pr- he'd probably be more inclined to do it, in my opinion, if United were in a- actually a decent mm. patch of form. But I think the way that United are now, the pressure that he's under... I think if you're going to compromise something, you probably have to compromise the style of play. It, it, like United played Brentford last season at Brentford, lost 4-0, and Eric mm. Ten Hag made a change. They they became more conservative throughout the rest of the season. The the focus was keeping clean sheets. They kept the most clean sheets in the Premier League last season. Probably yeah. because and I think Eric Ten Hag is trying to transition his style of play to a bit more of a... Along the lines of what he would like United to do long term, but I just don't think he has the personnel yet. And I feel like okay. the longer Ten Hag tries to persist with this, unless he changes something and makes it, puts more focus on security and keeping clean sheets. If he continues trying to play the way that he's playing at the expense of uh, senior players as well, I think he's on a, a very slippery slope. And, well, we'll see. We'll see which way he goes. But I, I agree with you. I don't think this the way he's trying to play works. I think it's, like I said, it's hot potato. It's hot potato. It's hot potato. It's kick the ball forward as fast as you can try and beat teams on the transition, but United just don't control matches. And I feel like they need more security in there.
2: They do need more security, but I think you really, I I think the thing is when we talk about style and what managers always want to do, it's always with best laid plans. Like he's watching all of this on the training ground. I don't think for one moment, Scott, he's thinking that this is just about risk and reward. I don't think he's thinking, well, we'll give it a go and we'll see what happens. He's convinced from the data and the players that he's got that these players can do it. You just said they're about Mount and Bruno, and I want, to, I want to really highlight this. who, When we're looking at two midfielders doing the same thing or doing the same problem, are you looking at the senior player or are you looking at the other player? And for me, he takes his lead from Bruno. So Bruno is doing that. Mount's going to follow the lead. That's just the way it is. So Mount was criticised heavily at Chelsea for not being good enough in
1: retention. Yeah, right,
2: I, but- get, I, I get that. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's about a position like Mount as well is learning the position as an eight, isn't he? Like we all said that he wants to be an eight, but he's not really an eight yet. He's getting there. But I think he's going to be more of a number eight than Bruno Fernandes ever will be just because of the way he works. So it is difficult because you're right. You need to be able to almost, you don't want to sacrifice creativity to to get a clean sheet. But do you know what? Getting a clean sheet is the most important thing. That's where it starts. You know, you ha- you've got to have that solid back five that kind of know what they're doing in front of a goalkeeper because we haven't got that and it's I think a lot of times because the midfield is fractured. We're constantly like you called it hot potato. These players should not be playing hot potato Scott like they are on two three hundred thousand pounds a week. Like they should not you think Casemiro should be playing hot potato. No you need to slow the game down. That's the way I think United need to do it. I don't think there's big systemic change that he can play like a four two three one and it just will all click I think he will probably try these systems and keep trying to uh, push on through it and find a way between six and eight to support the forwards. And Like one thing we've not even said here, of course, on this team yet, is Marcus Rashford's not in it. So it's less controversial to drop Marcus or to bash Marcus than it is Bruno. But for me, they're, the, they're our best two players. They both are underperforming at the moment. Therefore, they should both be sat on the bench.
1: Well, here you're proposing to drop Onana, Casemiro, Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rashford. I am. Which is a hell of a statement, Rob. Like, no, yeah. no matter, uh, you know... Massive. I think you can do two, possibly. Tops, and you can call it rotation, but I think four is... Uh, I don't want to say excessive, but it, it it might be. And that, if it doesn't go your way, you're taking a, such a big risk here with players who are relatively untried. We It was only a few weeks ago, we talked talking about Garnacho not ready to be a starter yet. Yeah. I... Think that he deserves another shot just because Mar- uh, Martial uh, Rashford is is not it looks bereft of confidence really. So I'm I'm in on got, trying out Garnacho. He's had a good week. He's had a, a newborn baby, and uh, you know he's been called up the Argentina squad. He's looking more threatening, really, than most of United's forwards outside of Rasmus Hoyland. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you on the Garnacho for Rashford shout. I don't know what he will do with Anthony yet, but I probably think he's more inclined to bring him back in just because he's tended to stick with him. But obviously you've got a a number of choices in midfield now, which is something that United couldn't have a few weeks ago with the injuries that they had and the suspensions and, you know, players absent, this kind of thing, but I'll stop sharing my screen. That's been the entire uh, conversation, but we both agree on Rasmus Hoyland playing. So let's talk about, let's talk somewhat positively Mm -hmm. for once, because I, I've said this (laughs) the other day and I, I actually, somebody said it on the show as well. Uh, organisms adapt to their environment eventually and we've seen this before remember when bruno fernandez joined he's probably been one of the players really that has managed to prolong his Mm. output and his positives the longest from every player that united have signed what you tend to see is united sign a player they have a good immediate impact they eventually fall into the the habits of everybody else and then just become usurped in whatever mediocrity is around United at that point, and players just inevitably suffer and become a shell of the former selves. But at least Rasmus Hoyland at the moment is looking positive. I will yeah. say here that Rasmus Hoyland's first goal against Galatasaray came from a counter attack. Rasmus Hoyland's second goal against Galatasaray came from a mistake where he ran from his own half. Yeah. United still will have a problem in, they still have a problem in build up. We, we know that that's so obvious. And you need to, bring Hoyland into the game, create chances for him if he's going to get those tap-ins. But what we have seen is that Holland is a player that can thrive on chaos. Definitely. And I think he gives you a little bit of X factor
2: in those parts of the park. We might have to look, Scott, I know you are sharing your screen there. We just saw Mason Mount was trending. So I'm a bit worried about that. Is, I, don't know, I don't know what that's about, but we'll, we'll, we'll see <laughs> while we're going live. That might sound like he might be injured or something like that. I'm not quite sure. We'll, we'll have to look into it, but I think with Rasmus Hoyland, I, I think you made some really good points from the last game and about his style of play is that, that it's, it's about building that chemistry for him around him. So that, I think, is the biggest That's the biggest point to play both Marcus and Bruno, is that if long-term Marcus and Bruno are your guys, then really you want them to build some chemistry, don't you, with the centre-forward. I think the issue has been, is, is, is not that as it stands, the issue has been all the holes in Man United's team. So I would not be surprised to see that, the game starts again with Hoyland at the top and Marcus left and Bruno right. I think that's an easy choice. I'm saying that we probably need to make harder choices at this time. You said dropping four is maybe too much. I actually think if you dropped all four together, that's a nice statement to the collective. That's saying, if you're not playing... Though, it, has it has to,
1: to work Rob. It has to work.
2: You're right. It has to work. And the problem is though, if you do play them and it doesn't work, Scott then you have literally got two to three weeks here of people saying that you're going to be sacked. Because if he does the same thing and it doesn't work, people will say he's lost the dressing room. People will say your senior players are not playing for you. You've lost a game against Brentford at home. So that's the risk here. And I actually think the reward is that if he does make changes and it works and you win the game, and even with those changes, I would want us to win that game against Brentford. If you do that, people then go, well, that's strong. This manager's strong. He's letting players know... That their poor form will not be rewarded with repetitive uh, picks. You called it last week a meritocracy, and that's the way it has to be. I believe is that you've got to look at players and go. I don't care if you're the captain. Don't care if you're on this amount of money. I don't care you got a new contract, Marcus. You know, and I do find Scott, it's a scale again. Like Marcus, really easy to bash, gets hugely bashed. Other players like Casemiro as well. Called it the other day the Casemiro stands. It's like Ronaldo. You can't you can't criticise them just because of all those medals. That shouldn't be like that. You have to you have to pick a team. You have to pick 11 players. And I think that we'll see Garnaccio get more minutes. I think he'll come in. But I think Anthony's the one there on that right, is that Anthony's not particularly creative, but Anthony will press and push in that area. And I think he'll help uh, Garnacho, As you said, they're in transition. That's where United are, I think. Uh, I liked um, Hoyland's goal. You know, we ran from deep. You know, but as soon as he got it, I just screamed at telly, run. Because people kind of don't really know how fast he is. <laughs> like He's yeah. the fastest player at the football club. He's quicker than Marcus Rashford. He is in the straight line. And I think United can exploit that in weeks to come. If, you, if you're going to play a little bit of counter-attack and counter-press, get the ball to the nine quickly. Let him dribble and run with it. Because he's got that. You say there about chaos. He can be an agent of chaos for Man United. and United can win football matches through those means.
1: I just don't think... Well, the, the way the Galatasaray played the other day, I think hmm. a better team than Man United would have smashed them. They would, they would have beat them five oh, six, yeah. probably. I didn't
2: think Galatasaray um, were that good. No, that I, they honestly... weren't, and
1: that, that's why it's so damaging. Like there was no, no way they should have won that game. Uh, but Galatasaray United, not Bra- eat, better than Brentford.
2: They're not you, better than Brentford,
1: and they will, Brentford will not give United the same opportunities or the same space to exploit. No. Which is why I think Highland can do that, and it's obviously mm. a massive benefit. And I think United yeah. probably play in a way where they want to create more of those opportunities for Hoyland to have space to run into and this kind of yeah. thing but simple fact is you need to get better at actually build up play and Hoyland has shown as well he's had some disallowed goals but it was a the goal that was disallowed for offside the other day against Galatasaray as well shows a bit of composure that he has Definitely. Like even if he's collecting the ball in the box you have to jink jink around a bit find some space and shoot and he's done that Twice now, I think he's had two disallowed goals. That was a brilliant um, goal,
2: wasn't it? That was like United absolutely played the ball, pop, 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 pop into the striker. And, you know, if that had stood and we'd we'd won the game, we'd be crowing about that, wouldn't we? For days going, look, we're back. <laughs> we, we can do this. So they can do it. And sometimes those marginal offsides go against you.
1: So, yeah, Highland should get his start again. I'm even seeing some people suggesting Martial should maybe come in and whether that's on the on the left side but anyway that, Hoyland's brought in to be that that main number nine and I think somebody also pointed out as well you see Martial's smile after Hoyland scored that goal from end to end yeah it was Martial knows that now that somebody's here to take his place so he doesn't have to fake injuries anymore or something like that maybe I, I read that and I also read a lot of people
2: saying uh oh we've seen already in this short window that Hoyland's not good enough for Man United I've read a lot of that already and that's, that's coming That's no. coming from Man United fans. Like, this is not coming from Arsenal fans, Liverpool fans or whoever. It's coming from United fans going, he can't do what we want. And you're thinking, well, we, we're not created anything for him at all yet. And and the team is fractured. So what are people expecting? So this is why I think, Scott, you know, people w- w- always want changes. But what do you change? And that's a big call, of course.
1: Right, I'm not changing Hoyland
2: go. anytime soon. I'm not changing him. Even if he's not playing well, he's playing. Like We've spent $77 million on him. He has to play.
1: There we go. Uh, there's your 11 from us. Let us know uh, what you would do in the comments section. And uh, we'll be back after that Brentford game next week to talk about Well, we go into an international break. So who knows what we'll be talking about um, mm. probably a bit longer term. I did want to finish the show today, Rob. Have you seen Beckham yet? No, not yet. I've not seen it.
2: Did you watch it? What did, what did I, you I've seen
1: it all. Uh, now... What was we haven't really talked about David Beckham before? Mm. Uh How much, how fondly do you look back on his United career? How much? What did you think of him at the time? This kind of thing. The documentary is very much worth a watch. By the way, I will say that David Beckham is, along with Eric Cantona, probably like, well, probably even more so than Cantona. Cantona was the one that first captured my imagination, but David Beckham is the one who, you know, was like like many teenagers or 10 year olds or whatever like the the one for for a lot of us and he was that for me as well
2: yeah i think bex for me like you know i love it that bex is a united fan i like that first and foremost he still loves united doesn't he and i think in that period post 1999 for those few years like there was no one bigger in the world than david beckham in many ways the ironic thing about it scott was that he wasn't always first choice he wasn't not in Fergie's eyes. Fergie's would change things quite a bit, and Bex would play on the right. Bex would play in midfield sometimes. Bex would sit on the bench. Do you know what? When he sat on the bench, no one really said a thing about it.
1: Oh, uh, Rob, I, no, uh, no. No, listen, no, I'm, gonna, no, I'm going there, no. I'm going
2: there, I'm going there, I'm going there. But I think the thing is with no,
1: Bex. no, no. Do I do not was, remember.
2: Oh, Rob. I do remember. I was there, man. I was at the games. I was there. You know, I'm not. I, I, I'm not having selective memory. I think the thing is with Bex, and. I I've I've always say this, and it's the same thing I crow about in terms of players. Is that for me, individuals, it's Cantona and Robson and no one else. That's the way I look at Man United. That's me. That's who I look at. I think Bex was fantastic for United, and I think he served us so so well, much more than I think some people do do kind of go towards. But I also think that because he was such an icon of that period in that kind of you know early two thousands, no end of the nineties period is that he also gets remembered with with more than maybe what he was. Some people underrate him some people overrate him. But for me, David Beckham doesn't mean that. I don't look at Becks and think, oh, I miss Becks." I don't. like. I, there are other players. Like I said, those two and then everyone else falls into line. People say to me, oh... What about skulls? What about gigs? What about these, the top? Still to me, I, I I saw all those guys in the flesh. I watched them every week and they were fantastic for us. And it's very easy now that Man United are a complete disaster to look back with misty eyes. So I haven't watched the Bex uh, uh, documentary yet because I don't feel that about Bex. But I know that a lot of people do. And I understand that um, he was an icon, wasn't he? You know, the, the thing I really remember, Scott, is the England goal. That got United. That got England into in so Europe. Just so happens
1: to be that was twenty-one years ago today.
2: Right, I remember where I was. I was in Morocco watching it, and I remember sitting there with a load of England fans and that ball going in the in the back of the net and the place going mad in Morocco. And I remember being that was I felt so proud because he was one of ours because he was United boy. That's the way. I, that's why I wanted it. But that moment. I think, identified what David Beckham became to English football, wasn't it? That he was the saviour. And and I was also there when uh, when he got sent off at the World Cup and looking at that, and I thought he was demonised, you know, effigies being hung at Premier League ga- grounds. I thought that was disgusting. And again, that was also why I rooted for Beck's because I'm glad that he kind of came back and did all those things. But at the very end, Scott, the manager had run out of use for him and he wanted to go to Real Madrid. And that was that. Well, you haven't watched went. the documentary. <laughs> what did he say? What did he say? Tell me. What did he, he say? Because I'm interested. Never wanted to go. You yeah, see, this was the, this was the whole thing. Was that he got he basically United accepted an offer from Barcelona, wasn't it originally? And he said no. I will only go to Real Madrid. But he wanted to stay at United. But the manager didn't want him. The manager ran out of use. And do you know why it was? Like I don't know. if They say this in the documentary, so I'm saying it blind. But it was because Oleg and Solskjaer was so good on the right. So the manager was playing Ole on the right, and people were like he's out of position. But Ole was playing so well as Actually the right-
1: pinned that on Carlos Queiros.
2: What he did he? What did he say?
1: Well that he- that was yeah. Um and Gary well, Neville said it as choice. well that it was uh they were pushing for Oli there. And Ollie said no, Oh really? I was actually quicker than Bex. He said. See, I'm Joking saying this blind. So I'm well. just
2: known from my own previous knowledge. And uh, and yeah, and the funny thing was that Ole was playing really well in that position. And I'm not surprised because Carlos Kiros had such a huge pull tactically towards Ferguson and made a lot of those choices because United were stylistically changing. So uh, yeah, I will watch it. And I do understand why people love Bex. And I, and I still look at Bex like that. He's still one of ours, isn't he? That's the way it will always be. He's a United boy. It's in his heart yeah that that does mean something
1: to me so many uh, you've mentioned some people think that he's overrated some underrated. i'm very much mm. in the underrated camp his his yeah. profile goes before him for what he was as a footballer he had so many incredible moments for united and for england he came back from you know demonization probably with the likes of which we haven't seen You know, obviously it happens a lot nowadays with social media, but at that point, I remember (laughs) remember being 9, 10 years old and seeing pictures of effigies on the front of newspapers, Mm. which are hanging from buildings and how anybody could come through that, especially considering 98 World Cup was his lowest point and what he did the season after. Yeah, you know, and it wasn't that even is... that bad at the World Cup. It was just a silly thing, but he got so it didn't attacked. Help. Glenn Hoddle uh, pinned the blame on on Beckham after that, and he said, "Yeah, well, he, he got a red card and it cost us the game," and obviously that didn't help. It's the way English fans saw it, but yeah, um, for me, David Beckham, one of my heroes, and best cross uh, the ball I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. James Ward Prowse, Rob,
2: <laughs> second. <laughs> no, Beck. honestly, the way Becks would cross the ball, that was always was just... Do you know what? I was at a soccer game not so long ago and he was taking corners, yeah, going back a couple of years ago and he still crossed the ball better than anyone I've ever seen. <laughs> Even at this age, he's like swinging the ball and the ball arcing in. That There was nothing better, Scott, in the old days of Gary Neville overlapping, stopping the ball, pulling it back and Becks being in that position to just swing it in and it's an underrated skill. He was the best of the world at that. I really do think that. And he was a better passer of the ball than anyone gave him credit. Um, and I, I was surprised he didn't develop into a central midfield. That's what we always believed that Bex would come inside, played the Champions League final in in, in the centre, didn't he? In 99. Mm-hmm. We, we moved into the centre and we were all horrified. We were like, we need him on the right. <laughs> but uh, but he played central because of Fergie's choice. Um, and never became really that that central fulcrum, did he? He kind of did it. He played for England there at times, didn't he? Um, but in his club career, you know, just was always that right-sided, the last of the right-sided midfielders. You know, like now we play four-two-three-one and we play wide forwards. He was like the last of that midfield. You know, four-four-two, somebody played on the right and was just so effective. It, the profile of what?
1: Well, he he, he probably did play in central midfield towards the end of his career for for PSG and and this kind of thing. But that, that's Milan. Of the late stages and Milan. Mm. Um, but yeah, for me got all the kind of tools that you look at in a modern player now i think he'd probably thrive on the right side of a midfield at right wing back this kind of thing he'd probably be that kind of uh, that kind of player but yeah if you haven't checked it out it came out earlier this week i will uh, definitely and watch it it was it's a good four-parter uh, and his
2: work rate was underrated he was a real worker but i think all those united boys of that period were just work monsters they just they never stopped moving they never put their heads down they were never beaten they were a real team that were never beaten scott like, they could, could see games. I remember losing, was it 6-3 at Southampton? But it, it, it used to galvanise those boys. They used to come back and go, right, we want to prove something. Our lot now, they could do
1: with a teaspoon of that, couldn't they? Maybe they should watch it before the Brentford game. Anyway, uh, Brentford visit United on Saturday, and we'll be back to dissect it next week. Rob will be at the game tomorrow as well, but we're going into an international break after that, so United need to win. I can't they believe I'll be there. just <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that, that's it from us. Uh, subscribe to the channel wherever you get your pods and watch us on YouTube as well, the Promise and the Manchester United podcast. Like the video, subscribe, leave a comment on anything. Tell us you're 11 for, for the Brentford game. Please do. Uh, hit the notification bell as well so you don't miss a show and let us know if you'd like us to do more live shows as well. Follow us on social media too, at double underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise and MU for the show as well. Rob, thank you very much for another show. Everyone, see you soon. Fingers crossed! You know I can get three points because they bloody need them anyway. See you soon. Thanks for listening, and bye.
0: Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue—all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty-nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty-nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone.